<clears throat> well, good morning. <clears throat> uh, a lot of you probably don't, don't recognize me, although I recognize a, a lot of you. Um, just so honored to be here. My name is Todd Baumgartner, and uh, I've, uh, I, like I said, I know uh, quite a few of you guys. My wife, uh, Miss Kimberly, and uh, I just say Miss Kim because I'm used to talking to the athletes at ASU, but uh, Kimberly, my, my two kids are back there as well. And, um, you know, I've, I've, been, uh, I've been scheduled to, to come preach for a couple months now and, and uh, just so honored uh, to have the privilege to do so. And uh, just a little bit about me real quick. I, I work for a ministry called Fellowship of Christian Athletes, whom you guys support and uh, as a church, and uh, some of you even individually support us. And uh, it's pretty simple. I get to take the gospel of Jesus to the campus at ASU and also the surrounding high schools and, and junior highs. And, and so without you guys and without your support, uh, we don't get to do that. Um, it's been a privilege. I get to walk right alongside my wife as she gets to minister to some of the female athletes as well. And, um, and so, uh, you know, just one quick highlight I want to update you guys with and uh, then we'll jump into the passage. We got a, a lot to get to this morning. Um, and also, by the way, I'm a ten, I'm, I'm, I tend to walk. If you haven't noticed just yet, so if you get if you get a little dizzy, just raise your hand. I'll, I'll try to stop for you. Um, but one highlight, real quick, from how things are going within FCA at ASU and other places. I, I, just a few weeks ago, y'all, this was this was amazing. Um, so we've been going and highlighting different sports at ASU, and this particular week was soccer's week, the women's soccer team. And so we all met at the, uh, at the indoor facility, and we got all the uh, football guys and baseball guys and volleyball girls and track girls and all these athletes to come, and the, the, the soccer girls were going to kind of highlight what they do. So they were going to take free kicks and PKs and going to see if the football guys could do the same and kind of teach them how to do that. It was, it was, it was a blast. We had probably uh, 60 athletes or so show up. And then at the very end, we, we just we shared the gospel, and we challenged, we challenged these athletes um, to, to evaluate their life. And uh, yeah, it was, it was amazing. We had 16 athletes stand up and say, man, I want to I wanna follow Jesus with my life. And uh, it was, yeah, y'all can clap for that. It was amazing. Um, and, and just to say that that's what I get to do for a living because of you guys, um, you guys play such a big part in that. And, and since then, obviously, that's a lot of athletes, but my, my job isn't just to, to share on Monday nights, it's to walk with those guys. And uh, my wife and others uh, walk with those girls who profess Christ and, and teach them um, and disciple them and, and teach them how to read the word and this new life that they're wanting to live, um, walk alongside them and teach them how to do that. And, uh, and so it's just, it's been, it's been an absolute joy. And so just to update you guys and, and say how much we appreciate y'all, um, you know, we, we love this place. Uh, we remember setting things up uh, at, at ASU when you know, and most of you guys that were part of that crew at the very beginning, waking up at 6 a.m. and, uh, you know, guys grabbing donuts and, and then uh, building this place. I think our name is on a beam somewhere in the, in the lobby out there. Uh, we, we just, we absolutely love. And, and so again, I just, just to have the privilege to stand up here um, 
is, is phenomenal. So thank you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray while I do that. You can make your way to, to Numbers chapter 13, and uh, then we'll get, we'll get right into it. Lord, thank you again for this morning. Um, Lord, I, I, I continue to pray that, uh, Lord, you would, just, you would just speak, Father. Um, this text has so much to say. You have so much to say just through the text. I don't even really need to say a whole lot. Um, it speaks for itself. And so I pray, God, that uh, this morning you would say what you want to have said, Lord, and uh, that you would meet us right where we are um, to hear Colton's testimony. Um, Father, how you used the chaos and friendship and uh, to save a life, Lord. It was absolutely amazing. What a phenomenal start, Lord. We thank you. We thank you for your son, Jesus, and uh, his sacrifice on our behalf, Lord. It's in his name we pray. Amen. All right, so before I get to, to Numbers chapter 13, just to kind of set this thing up, you know, in, in you know, today's world, there's, there's just so many things that tend to grab our attention. If, if the enemy's got a, a tactic, most of us know him as a liar, but what he likes to do is he likes to just bounce your attention off of, off of the Lord. If he can, you know, if he loses one, for, you know, like we just saw, if he loses a person, loses a soul, then what he wants to do to you as a follower of Jesus is make you as inefficient ineffective for the kingdom as he possibly can. And so what he does is he tries to get you to look at everything other than Jesus. What Jesus wants us to do is fix our eyes onto him as we, we follow him in every entity of our life. He says things like 1 Thessalonians 5, to pray without ceasing. Pray without stopping is a literal verse in 1 Thessalonians 5. And I ask myself all the time, why, why do I not do that? Why do I stop praying? Why do I not follow what the Lord has commanded. And I, I was thinking about it as I was studying this. And I was like, you know, it's not really the case where I just say, you know what, I'm not going to do that, Lord. That sounds impossible. I don't think I can do that. The reality is I just don't think about it. I just don't think that I can continually be praying. I, I, it's just not aware. It's not at the forefront of my, mouth, my mind that I can just pray whenever I want to that I, I don't have to be sitting at my desk by myself and have this alone time, but that I can pray wherever I want to. And so a lot of times that's exactly what the enemy wants to do is just to provoke your attention somewhere else off of the Lord so that you don't stay fixed on, on the Lord. Um, and so what we're going to learn uh, and see this morning is we're going to look at two very well-known passages uh, within the Old Testament. Some of you guys remember the life of Caleb, faithful Caleb, and then also um, King Asa. And what I want to show today is what it looks like to have reactionary obedience and also spiritual perseverance. And so what it means to obey out of your reactions and then have that sustained through the rest of our life. So hopefully you've had a chance... Uh, to get to Numbers chapter 13, like I said, we're going to do some reading today, uh, but the passage speaks for itself. So if you would pick up with me, Numbers 13, 1 through 3, should be up there, there we go. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, send out for yourself men so that they may spy out the land of Canaan, which I am going to give to the sons of Israel. You shall send a man from each of their fathers, tribes, everyone a leader among them. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran at the command of the Lord, all of them, men who were heads of their sons of Israel. 
And so we're going we're gonna to stop right there just to give some context. Remember, God up to this point had, had spoken uh, to Abram and promised this land. He had promised that he was going to give this land. If you guys remember, Exodus 3 says, So I have come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them up from the land to a good and spacious land, to a land flowing with milk. Anybody remember what else? And honey, milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanite, Hittite, the Amorite, Perzite, Hivite, and the Jebusite. God had, had promised that it was not only there, but it was theirs. And so he didn't uh, only promise that it was going to be given to them or that it physically was there, but it was also going to be obtained by his people. This was a promise. And up to, up to this point, we had seen so much grumbling and complaining by by God's people about what was happening in the wilderness and against Moses and why he had taken them out. And as a matter of fact, in Deuteronomy chapter one, they are the ones that suggested that they go spy out this land. And so that's kind of the backstory, the foundation of where we're headed. And you're going to see the faithfulness of one man and how that applies to our life today. So we're going to skip a couple verses down. Let's get to verse 25 and kind of get an idea of what's happened. And so we've seen them. We've seen them go out and he picked those people and he goes through all these names. And then verse 25, he says this, when they returned from spying out the land at the end of the 40 days, they proceeded to come to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the sons of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. And they brought back word to them and to all the congregation showed them the fruit of the land. Thus they had told him and said, we went into the land where you had sent us and certainly does flow with milk and honey and this is its fruit. Nevertheless, the people who live in the land are strong and the cities are fortified and very large and moreover, we saw the de descendants of Anak there. Amalek is living in the land of Negev, Negev and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites are living in the hill country and the Canaanites are living by the sea and by the side of the Jordan. Verse 30, then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, we should by all means go up and take possession of it, for we will surely overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people for they are too strong for us. So they gave out to the sons of Israel bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying the land through which we have gone and spying it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great size. There also we saw the Nephilim. The sons of Anak are part of the Nephilim. And we became like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. And so here we get kind of the first look of how to react in obedience. And what was it? What was the key factor that Caleb had instilled into him that caused him to react in obedience? And this is what I want to sit on today is that we have to remember the Lord's promise. That's what Caleb remembered. That's why he was able to tell the truth in the midst of all his buddies who were saying, no, we, we can't go in there. We ain't about to go in there. You see them people? There ain't no way we can fight against them. But what did, what did Caleb remember? Caleb had remembered the promise from the Lord, and so he began trusting the promise. You know, and, and many of us would probably acknowledge that we trust the Lord, we trust, we trust God's promises, 
But our actions every single day will speak to whether or not we actually do trust in the Lord. Matter of fact, your actions and my actions will either validate or they will void what it is that you say or what it is that you actually believe. See, those, those words trust and belief and faithfulness, those are action words. Those involve you actually doing something. And we see how Caleb's faith was validated in those moments. He knew the promise and trusted uh, God was going to get him through. It didn't matter what the, what the land was inhabited by. He just trusted the promise. And, uh, and he knew. He knew. He saw the same things those other spies saw, but it didn't matter. And it doesn't matter for us today. It doesn't matter how chaotic life may seem. It doesn't matter how bad the odds are in our favor. It doesn't matter when you are trusting in the Lord and believing his promise that he will come through. And later we're going to look at how that applies to our life. But the story doesn't end there. And so let's pick up, and I know I'm moving quickly through this passage. I promise we're going to tie this up in a bow here after a while. But Numbers 14, verses 22 through 24, because God had, had to deal with all of these other spies who didn't have the faith like Caleb. And so this is, this is what happens. Verse 22, surely all the men who have seen my glory and my signs, which I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, yet have put me to the test these 10 times and have not listened to my voice, shall by no means see the land which I swore to their fathers, nor shall any of those who spurned me see it. But my servant Caleb, because he has had a different spirit and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land which he entered, and his descendants shall take possession of it. And so God had to, to do some dealing with these faith-lacking people, these other spies, to the point where even earlier in that passage, these spies said they were grumbling and complaining so much that they told Moses, we would rather go back to Egypt to be enslaved until our death than continue wandering around with you not knowing what's going to happen. That was the point that they were at, to the point where they, they saw the land, but they were so discouraged because of what they saw inhabited the land already that they were, would have rather gone back to be enslaved than to actually fight for God's promises. And so he deals harshly with these people. He eventually sends a plague and they, they aren't even able to stay alive long enough to see the land. And that's how God deals. The, the point of this particular story, this is one of two that we're gonna see. The point of this is that we see Caleb stare fear right in the face with the faith of God and believed and trusted his promise. That's the message for us today is, you know, you ask yourself, everybody comes in from different walks of life, different things happening at home, different things happening within your, your family or your, or your job. It, it doesn't really matter what it is. We all go through those moments of fear and different things that happen in our life. And the question is, what are you, what are you fearing? Up to this point, these spies, they feared man over fearing the Lord. And so it led them to lie about what was there, to not show faith in God, not trust his promise. But we have an example in Caleb of what it looks like to trust God's promise that creates 
reactionary obedience. You're going to hear me say reactionary obedience a couple of times. It's just those times where you have a split decision, an immediate decision, and, and even in those moments, you still react by obeying God. I think about it all the time when I'm on the road or, uh, you know, driving down Red Wolf and I, you know, get cut off or I hit the fourth red light in a row or whatever the case is, like 11th red light in a row. And in those moments, I have an opportunity to react a certain way. And when you trust in the Lord's promise, creating maturity in your life, you can even react in obedience. That's what the Lord wants. It's in an immediate opportunity to to act, Caleb chose to obey God's promise and trust in it and lean into that, even when everybody else said it couldn't be done. And so what would that look like in your life? What scenario, what circumstance would that look like to trust God's promise in your own life today? And maybe, maybe you're not sure what that promise is. I can tell you, you don't have to look too far past the cross to understand the promise from God, the promise of hope the promise of peace that leaves us satisfied unlike anything else. Even Colton said it. He looked at it for, from work standpoint, couldn't find it there. So what is it that you're looking for? Not trusting the promise from the Lord. All right, so we've, we've, uh, we've seen just the short end of the life of Caleb, and we'll finish his here in a minute. But I want to look at a parallel uh, story also from the Old Testament. Some of you guys may know King Asa, if you've been doing your study time in 2 Chronicles, okay, maybe you've been getting a little work in there. Um, King Asa has a very similar uh, beginning, um, and we're going to look at how they, how they parallel and what we can learn from, from his story as well. And so if you want to flip over to the right a little bit, a couple books, and we're going to pick up in 2 Chronicles 14, verses 1 through 4. And y'all got to give me a little grace now. We're going to get into some names and places. And Nathan will tell me whether or not I actually pronounce them correctly or, or not. Verse 1. So Abijah slept with his fathers, and they buried him in the city of David. And his son Asa became king in his place. The land was undisturbed for 10 years during his days. Asa did good and right in the sight of the Lord his God. For he removed the foreign altars and high places, tore down the sacred pillars, cut down the Asherim, and commanded Judah to seek the Lord of, the fa of their fathers and to observe the law and the commandment. So that's my guy, King Asa. So he had, reigned, he had started his reign somewhere in 911 9 BC, and it went to 870 BC. But you see right off the bat, he had favor with the Lord. He had found favor. And if you had read through Kings and up to this point, you see it was like every, every king either started with he had favor or he didn't have favor. And those, those who had favor were kind of far and few in between. But that was not the case for King Asa. Actually, the Lord even gave him 10 years to kind of begin preparing for war and how, what it looked like to actually rely on God. The key, King Asa, don't get it twisted, he was, he was doing it right. And eventually, the Ethiopians would actually rise up against him and take him to war. But check out how he responded. This is what we can get to this morning. Check out in verse 11, go down a few more verses after the Ethiopians, they're gonna rise up against them. And this is how King Asa responds. Check this out. Then Asa 
called to the Lord, his God, and said, Lord, there's no one besides you to help in the battle between the powerful and those who have no strength. So help us, O Lord, our God, for we trust in you and in your name have come against this multitude. O Lord, you are our God. Let not man prevail against you. So the Lord routed the Ethiopians before Asa and before Judah, and the Ethiopians fled. Man, what reactionary obedience because he trusted in the promise of the Lord. Again, he has an opportunity, an action where what he believed and what he said was going to be either validated or was going to be voided by how he responds in this moment. And you see very similar to Caleb as he responds with faith, not knowing what's going to happen, not knowing what it's going to look like. Just like Caleb, he knew that war was going to happen, but he trusted the Lord's promise. He trusted and believed that the Lord would give him strength to overcome the Ethiopians. And so when we look at our own lives, we have plenty of application to, to have an idea of whether or not I'm acting like Caleb or King Asa, or am I acting more like the, the spies or the previous kings who didn't have favor with God? But something interesting happens in the next chapter with King Asa, chapter, chapter 15. And it, it, it kind of stands out based off of what's been happening and how he's had this favor, and I think as we get into this, you'll find it interesting as well. So you go to the next chapter and you start in verse, verse one. We'll just read a couple verses here out of it. It says, now the spirit of God came on Azariah, the son of Oded. And he went out to meet Asa and said to him, listen to me, Asa and all Judah and Benjamin, the Lord is with you when you are with him. And if you seek him, he will let you find him. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. And even later in verse 7, it says, But you be strong and do not take, lose courage, for there is a reward for your work. So it's an interesting tone. I don't know about you, but you kind of be taken one of two ways of like, man, the prophet, he came to me, gave me this word, and finds a lot of encouragement in that. Or you take it like I took it and be like, Lord, why, why, why you got to say it like that? You know, what, what, what you mean? What you mean by that forsaking you and, and you won't, you'll forsake me? Like, what, is that, what does that mean? But, you know, for King Asa, he had taken a lot of encouragement out of that um, to, to the point where he was, he was blameless before the Lord. He had brought gold and, and silver and continued to walk in the Lord's commands. He took things that were dedicated to their fathers and gave all this stuff, the gold and silver, to the Lord, set it in the Lord's house and was deemed blameless. And he was just basically etching his legacy in the Lord's book for us to follow. And had the story ended there, we probably would try to imitate the life of King Asa as we've admired the life of Caleb. But the story doesn't end there. And we're going to get to the finish. And, but as you look at the parallel of those two stories, two stellar stories of what it looks like to trust God's promise and how trusting God's promise creates reactionary obedience, that immediate action. So before we get to the end of Asa's life, let's, let's go back and look at how Caleb finished. And I think we 
find great encouragement in how Caleb finished. This will be back a little bit in the book of Joshua. Sorry for jumping back and forth. By the way, we're going to go back to Second Chronicles here in a minute. So keep your finger on it as we go. So Joshua 14. I mean, this is unbelievable. If you could write up what I want the way that my life to end, this has to be somewhat close. Check this out. Verse 7, Joshua 14, verse 7. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought word back to him as it was in my heart. Nevertheless, my brethren who went up with me made the heart of the people melt with fear, but I followed the Lord my God fully. So Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land on which your foot has trodden will be an inheritance to you and to your children forever, because you have followed the Lord my God fully. Now behold, the Lord has let me live just as he spoke these 45 years from the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses when Israel walked in the wilderness, and now behold. Y'all lock in here just for this last part. I am 85 years old today. I am still as strong today as I was in the day of Moses sent me. As my strength was then, so my strength is now for war and for going out and coming in. Now then, give me this hill country about which the Lord spoke on that day, for you heard on that day that Anakim were there with the great fortified cities. Perhaps the Lord will be with me, and I will drive them out as the Lord has spoken. I mean, what a legacy to leave as the character of Caleb as unparalleled, really, um, but that's what, that's what happens when you, when you fix your eyes on, on to Jesus. When you fix your eyes onto God and believe and trust in the promise, this is what it looks like. So not only does it create reactionary obedience, but when we stay fixed on the Lord, it creates spiritual preservedness to persevere. I don't know, did I say that right, Nathan? Probably not. Anyways, to persevere and to remain spiritual, to remain locked in with the Lord. And so... That when, when we trust in, in, trust, trust in God's promises, that's, that's what happens, is it sustains us, not only for the immediate or for the reactionary, not only for when you leave out of here and you, you hit your 11th led, red light or, you know, that you can't get out because NEA is crazy and all this, whatever the case may be, can't get a seat at Fat City because it, there's a million people there. Whatever the, whatever the case is, that immediate, those reactions, obviously, not only that time, does it create obedience? But it sustains us. When we stay fixed and locked on the promises of the Lord, it sustains us through life. He was 85 years old. I'm not going to take a poll or have you raise up your hand uh, for those of you that are that old at this point. But just imagine that to be your legacy. Is, he said, I'm as strong now as I was then. Whether it's going to war or coming in or going out, whatever the, whatever the case is, I'm still locked in with the Lord. Would that be your legacy? Because I, I think about it right now. I, I'm not, I don't know when the end is for me. I don't know when the, my life is going to stop. And so my story may not be when I was 85. It may be when I was 35 or 105 or whatever the case is. But because we don't know where the end is, we have to live this legacy now. Not only where you start, but as you continue to trust the Lord's promise of your life, 
It sustains you. <clears throat> you know, um, obviously we weren't talked to by a, uh, a burning bush or um, a prophet um, and we're told these promises. And so the question for us as we apply this uh, to our own lives is how do we apply, what are the promises that God has promised us? And y'all, I mean, when we look back to the cross, we see God's faithfulness, we see his devotion and desire to wanna be with us. The promise is the everlasting love that, you, that was poured out on the cross for you and me. And so what, what we fix our eyes on is the life, death, and burial of Jesus Christ. And when we get fixed on to, to Jesus in the work of, of the cross, the promise is hope, the promise is peace, the promise is love, the promise is everlasting life. And one I love to say is the promise is satisfaction, that we don't have to look to anything else, that we can trust God's promise and his strength that when I, when I want more things, when I want more stuff, it's not going to fulfill me because I trust what the Lord has for me. And, and so I look to, I look to, the, to the cross because his promise is that you won't hunger anymore. His promise is you won't thirst anymore when you look to him. So are you remembering that? Are we doing a good job remembering the gospel? Is it what motivates us? Remember what motivated? Caleb, you can see it. Just the promise that he, they're gonna obtain this, this promised land flowing with milk and honey. That's what fueled him. And the same should be for, for us as we look at the cross. The life of Caleb and the legacy that he, he left is one that we admire. And up to this point, so is King Asa. But let's see how it ended. Flip back over. Go back to the right. Second Chronicles chapter 16. Y'all, this is, this is intense. This gets crazy here. <clears throat> Verse 1 through 4. He had just been warned. He had just had that prophetic warning. And he took it as encouragement and continued to give the gold and silver, right? And then we get to chapter 16. It says in... In the 36th year of Asa's reigns, Baasha, king of Israel, came up against Judah and, the for, and, uh, and fortified Ramah in order to prevent anyone from going out or coming in to Asa, king of Judah. Verse 2, then Asa brought out silver and gold from the treasuries of the house of the Lord and the king's house and sent them to Ben-Hadad, king of Aram who lived in Damascus, saying, let there be a treaty between you and me as between my father and your father. Behold, I have sent you silver and gold. Go break your treaty with Baasha, king of Israel, so that he will withdraw from me. So Ben-Hadad listened to King Asa and sent his commanders of the armies against the cities of Israel, and they conquered Ejah, Dan, Abel, Miam, Maim, and all the store cities of Nephitali. And so we just got to chill out here for a second before we get too deep into these long names and um, you have to hear me stutter anymore. But what, what just happened? Remember the last time um, war sprung up against King Asa, what he did? Remember what he said when the Ethiopians showed up and said, we're going to take you to war? 
Remember how he called onto the Lord, got on his knees and called out to the Lord, only by your strength can we overcome these? But you see his reaction now? 35 or 25 years later, he's in his 36th year, and here again, war begins to, to spring up, and you see King Asa's response. It's to go get the gold and silver and, and, and bribe somebody to align with them so that they would avoid war. What, what happened to King Asa? I think we're going to get a little bit of an insight look if we just scroll down a couple more verses. Go to, go to verse 7. Golly, these names. Anyways, verse 7, at that time, Hanani, the seer, came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, because you have relied on the king of Aram and have not relied on the Lord your God, therefore the army of the king of Aram has accepted, has, excuse me, has escaped out of your hand. Verse 8, we are not the Ethiopians in the Lubum, an immense army with very many chariots and horsemen, yet because you relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hand. He had already been through this. Verse, scroll down, verse 11. Now, the axe, this is, this is unbelievable how fast, how downhill this, this goes, how quickly. Verse 11, now the axe of Asa from first to last, behold, they are written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. In the 39th year of his reign, Asa became deceased in his, or excuse me, deceased, diseased in his feet. His disease was severe, yet even in his disease, he did not seek the Lord, but the physicians. So Asa slept with his fathers, having died in the 41st year of his reign. So again, what, what happened? He went from trusting the Lord's promise, being fixed onto God, trusting in his strength to overcome war to the point where he's willing to steal from the Lord the gold and silver and the things of his fathers to bribe another country to gain a treaty. You know, up to this point, he was so blessed and the Lord blessed his faithfulness. But eventually, instead of continuing to worship God, he started to worship the blessing. And he bounced his eyes. We, we had mentioned how the enemy uses different things to grab your attention and to draw it away from the Lord. And so what, what the enemy did to King Asa was he, he, he took the things that were in front of him and he said, this is what you have to have. This is all because of you. This is what you did. And he started to draw his attention away from the Lord and, the, and, and God's promise and started to fixate on the things, the gold, the silver, the fact that they hadn't been to war in several years. And all of a sudden, King Asa, when war sprung up, realized that I can't do life without these things. He didn't fear just man, but he feared a, a, an old lifestyle. He loved the lifestyle that he was living, and so he feared that he would have to go back. We do this all the time. We do this all the time where we begin to worship the things that God created rather than God himself. And the enemy loves to use those things to cause fear in your heart. Fear of 
what you, what way people may think about you, the things that you have. I think about, uh, you know, my wife and I are always sitting on the couch looking around like, we need a bigger house. We, we need more things. <laughs> Just yesterday, we, we were doing that. And I think back to our old house and um, how significantly smaller it was and we didn't have much of a yard and man, we made it. We made it work. And a lot of times what creeps into me is the fact that I don't, I fear going back there or I fear that now that I've experienced this blessing of where we stand now, I don't want to go backwards. I don't want to live life without that blessing of a big yard and a, and a dog and, you know, a couple of car garage, like, And so I I get wrapped up into the things and staying fixed on, what if the Lord had come in and said, no, I want you to sell your stuff and I want you to give to the poor. We've seen that scenario. Remember what the rich ruler did? He turned around and he walked away, sombered because he, he knew what the Lord was asking of him. And so when we look at these two parallel stories, we saw how Caleb finished compared to how King Asa finished. And the question is, what will be your legacy? What will it be when you finish? Because trusting in the God's promises will create spiritual perseverance. Is the enemy drawing your attention away from the Lord? You can see how fast it works. It's kind of a snowball effect. Francis Chan actually did this analogy where he put a hat on. He had all these things dangling from his eyes because sometimes it'd be like, it's, it's like that for us where the things that the enemy are trying to put in front of us is just all right here in front of us and we can't see past that stuff, right? But I know when I'm fixed on the Lord, I, I can't even see what's going on. I can't even see what's going on right next to me because I'm so fixed and locked, locked steady on the Lord. And so we see a couple couple applications here these two stories and the the first thing is don't get distracted I want everybody to just kind of look at me real quick and and just I know some of y'all taking notes and um but just for a second just everybody look at me focus on me get real locked in right here I saw about 10 heads uh, go back to the door. And I'm like, my man Aaron back there banging on the door. I'm like, this is all it took for you guys to to, uh, get distracted from what was happening. But that's how how the enemy works. Is the Lord saying, get here, get locked into me. Don't, Don't get distracted. And then the enemy slams the door and provokes your eyes to bounce off of the Lord. I even set you guys up. I even said it up to reminded you to come look at me. You know, Lord, don't do that all the time, right? And all it took was a, a door slam to, to get you to look over there. Not everybody. Some of y'all, y'all were really locked in, most of you guys. He's got to bang on a door a little harder than that next time. Um, but that's, that's exactly what the Lord does. Or excuse me, that's exactly what the enemy does is he tries to distract us. And the question is, what is distracting you? What is preventing you from Hebrews 12, 2, when he tells us to fix our gaze onto the Lord? What is preventing us from doing that? King Asa, we saw it was the fear that set in, the fear of man, the fear of 
the old lifestyle, whatever it may be, but it was the fact that he was worshiping the blessing rather than the one who gave him that blessing. And, you know, the, I'm going to kind of land this plane here in a second, and the band's going to come up behind me as they make, her, make their way. Um, but I, I can't help but believe that those two things, when we trust in the Lord, creates reactionary obedience, but then also sustains us. But this goes into every single entity of our life. Whether it's your job, your marriage, your hobbies, whatever it is, we remember the Lord's promise. We remember what was poured out on the cross that motivates us to be fixed onto the Lord in everything that we do. I remember sitting in that locker room on, on campus where this crazy guy was stand, sitting right next to me sharing this stuff about Jesus. I'm like, bro, I'm here to play ball. I don't want that stuff. My life was good. I had no reason to leave what I was doing. But when it was made clear, the promise that the Lord had made on my behalf on the cross, I said, man, I want that. I want that more than I want this. And so for nearly 15 years now almost, I've been walking with, with the Lord, being motivated by the fact that he paid that price and promised me hope and, and peace and eternal life through what Jesus did. But we, we take that into every entity of our life. I, I, just yesterday, I had to repent to my six-year-old son. I had to ask him for, for forgiveness and the rest of my family for forgiveness because we're, we're at a basketball game. And my six-year-old son could tell that I was getting frustrated because I expect him to be a little Kevin Nash out there dishing the rock, you know, and bringing it up the court and, you know, elbow up and hand in the cookie jar. I expect him to be that at six years old. And I was getting frustrated. And I had to ask him for forgiveness because I wasn't fixed on the promise of being satisfied in the Lord. I was worried, and maybe some of you parents can relate, this is kind of hard for me to say or confess. I was more worried about what my image looked like in the reflection of my son and how he was performing, mind you, at six years old, <laughs> City Stars basketball, and how it reflected on me. And I share that just because it was just yesterday. <laughs> Otherwise, I wouldn't probably share that with most people. But the minute I lose sight of the promise that the Lord had given me to be fully satisfied in him and not give a care whatsoever, what y'all think of me and whether or not my kids can perform on the field or court, that's what I, I rely on. King Asa lost that. We see the parallel of, of what it looks like to actually live that out and create a lasting legacy through the life of Caleb. And the challenge is for us, is which one are you going to be? It starts with that initial step of repentance, just like I did in that locker room. Actually, I wouldn't do it there. I was in the Arkansas Hall <laughs> in the dorms. And I said, I'm done playing this game. I want to be for real about it. I don't want to just say I'm this guy and keep doing what I'm doing. So I repented and asked God to forgive me. 
and I began walking with Jesus. I was a freshman in college. For us, it's that first initial step of repentance and asking God for forgiveness, just like my man Colton over here, where he finally surrendered to the Lord and began walking. And then from that point, it's a it's an all day, every day, I'm going to get a fix on the Lord and he's going to motivate me to, to live in accordance with his word. And so I'm going to read his Bible. I'm going to get up every morning. I'm going to put the armor just like Ephesians 6 tells me to do. And I'm going to get in his word so I know what he says. And I'm going to constantly remind myself of the promise that was shed on the cross. Because remember what I said at the beginning about 1 Thessalonians 5? A lot of times we just forget we don't even think about it because we're not aware. It's not in front of us. I would pray without stopping if I just remembered to pray. <laughs> and so we get up and we read our Bible and we pray to remind ourselves of the promise. I can't, I can't imagine how many times Caleb had to replay those Old Testament verses in his mind to remind him as he's standing there in, in the face of giants trying to obtain this land of the promise that this is your land. I will bring you through it. So how do we fix our eyes? We read, we pray. You use your gift and talents to serve your local body. And then my two favorite is you go and you get discipled. I don't really care what walk of life that you are in. Right now I'm 32 years old. And I've been being discipled every, every week, every day for the last 15 years. I've, I've seeked out men that are just a phase ahead of me to continue to teach me God's word. Teach me how to be a better husband and better father. That person is really special in my life. You know what he does? He reminds me of the promise. Every time we get together. And then the second one is go disciple somebody else. Be the mentor for somebody else. Whether it's a young man that just gets in the, the baptistry or whether it's your neighbor, whoever it may be, the word's very clear. Entrust this, 2 Timothy, entrust this into reliable men. I promise you, if you step into somebody's life, and I'm not talking about just leading a Bible study once a week. I'm talking about stepping in to the life of another human being and reminding him of the promise of God and what he did for us. True mentorship and discipleship. Just that alone will remind you of God's promise, I promise you. I've had the privilege of discipling many athletes and every day that reminds me just what God did for me and the, the commitment I made to him sitting in Arkansas Hall back in August of 2007 it reminds me. And so that, that, that keeps it at the forefront of my mind, creating reactionary obedience and the sustained spirituality that hopefully will carry me to the very end. So what will your legacy be? What is it that you are fearing? What is it that the enemy is dangling in front of you to try to draw your attention away from the Lord? I'm gonna pray and I imagine there's gonna be a time of, of response and maybe you do that right where you're at or kneel at the front. I don't really know what the rules are, but um, kind of do whatever you want, I guess. But I'm gonna pray and this is your time to respond, to kind of evaluate which, 
which story you fall in, where you relate, how the Lord can give you strength to stay fixed onto him. Let's pray. Father, thank you um, again for just your faithfulness. The word Caleb, the name Caleb means faithful and devotion. God, you named him that specifically because you wanted to use his legacy to impact us. And so we thank you for that. We thank you that 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 story resonates with us, Father. But we look at King Asa as a warning to our own lives that we wouldn't fall into the trap of the enemy where we begin loving the things that you've blessed us with more than you. And so continue to remind us, please, remind us, Lord, of the promise that you set before, that you poured out on the cross, the promise of hope. Father, when nothing can stand up to that, no amount of money, no relationship, no identity can stand up to the hope that creates eternal life in Jesus. That's what we desire. I pray that if any of us in this room are not trusting are not being faithful, whatever the case may be, that we would surrender right now, that we would say, Lord, I don't want that. I wanna, I wanna follow you. I wanna be fixed on you. Maybe we just need a mentor in our life to remind us. Maybe there's somebody around the corner that needs us to mentor them. Lord, but we love you. The text speaks so much for itself, Father, and we're so thankful for that and your words to our lives. Again, we thank you. We love you. Pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.